0: Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. Every week, we meet at this table for an hour to experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other through our joys and our lessons learned. We share topics that tradition tells us there's some things you just don't talk about. But here, we live beyond the judgment and the wreckage. We share some aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week, we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. However, you must come dressed in your inner awesome, believing that impossible is merely a word to describe the degree of difficulty. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Fios, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27 in Reston, and webcasts worldwide on the Internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Should you miss us? No worry. You can catch our archive Frankly Speaking with Tyra G G podcast in my media room at tyragarlington.com or on TuneIn and Apple Podcast platforms. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, you know that's easy. Email me at Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm Listening. Probably our world has changed and has been challenged in a way it has not been for over 100 years. An invisible enemy invaded our privacy, our routines, our expectations, and our hopes. Here in the United States, we began to see evidence of unparalleled challenge to our healthcare systems, our economy, and to wonder if our democracy would be strong enough to withstand the attacks on our Constitution. We have begun to use a vocabulary more frequently that incites divisive and combative emotions. Perhaps some of you, like me, have felt mental and emotional uncertainty and unrest. It seems that everything that could be shaken is shaking, where noise, angry noise, seems to be drowning out our laughter and our love. And yet, some of us have been having a much greater, yet much less obvious challenges. Consider the following quotes and listen through your compassionate, compassionate lens. Quote number one, it's me and my two older sisters, and it was just my mom. None of us really listened. We didn't do chores, barely went to school, And so eventually she got really fed up. I figured I'd live with her for my entire life, and I didn't think I'd be homeless ever. But we kind of both just looked at each other. I was like, I don't really want to stay here. She was like, I love you and everything, but I don't really want you here. Quote number two, I was supposed to come down here with my older sister, Nicole, who is 19, and she was supposed to watch me, and she ended up not. We talked. We socialize, we have to, we're related But we don't exactly get along I talk to my mom whenever I can She works a lot, so every time I call her, it just rings And then, every time I call her, I cry Because I miss her Quote number three The day I actually left, my mother stopped feeding me She threw my food to the dogs I just grabbed my stuff and left All she would do is spend time with her boyfriend and they would never talk to me. I was out of my room maybe two months out of the year. I was grounded the rest of the time. I went to school and they were like, all right, we'll try to help you. They put me in some group home in Washago, Canada. But the rent money ran out of that. They shoved me into a shelter. Well, I was there for a while. Last year, I start coming down to Toronto from Barre, and I'm trying to stay here now. Not only do you not get ticketed for sleeping outside in Barre, but it's a lot easier to get food and other stuff I need. Quote number four. By the time she ran away, Rianne said she had few choices, During a recent interview, the teen said she absolutely hated going to school and that she was taunted and traumatized by both adults and her own peers until she couldn't stand it any longer. What I went through and endured in my life made me internalize all of the pain and suffering from being bullied for as long as I can remember, she said. Losing my mother when I was 10... And having feelings of abandonment from any father figure I ever had really only left me with two choices to take my own life or to start a new one. Why are these stories significant? These young people, like so many others, have become victims of circumstances beyond their control. Their quality of life is diminished to the extreme. All of these young people are vulnerable, susceptible, and accessible. Yet many of them are invisible to those who could help. They're under the radar. They're unrecognizable. These young people are prime targets for human trafficking. Researchers have found that sex traffickers often target children and youth with a history of maltreatment, sexual abuse, low self-esteem, and minimal social support. And yes, there are many organizations that are missioned to reach out and to help these very children, to include government-funded programs like foster care, countless faith-based organizations, and they work until they don't. They work until they run out of space or money or the ability to sustain the quality of the service. Human trafficking cases has risen 185% compared to this time last year, according to one human rights organization. Human trafficking involves the use of force, fraud, coercion, to obtain some type of labor or commercial sex act, according to the Department of Homeland Security. Now, I know I'm repeating, you, repeating myself. I'm always talking about the children. But it's true that human trafficking is a topic we don't talk about at dinner. And maybe, if we are parents or caregivers to children, we should. Hear me now. About 10,000 children a year suffer the horrors of commercial sexual exploitation in the United States. Each victim, on average, is forced, forced to have sex more than five times a day. Yet the buyers who fuel the sex trade are seldom held accountable. Most just blend back into their families, jobs, and neighborhoods. Well, My guest at the table today is a wonderful educational advocate and service provider in the human trafficking space. Beyond that, she's also an expert and advocate in the world of foster care. And yet, we find a potential relationship between foster care and human trafficking. I am so grateful for her expertise and her willingness to share the table today. I want you to meet Ms. Ann Basham, CEO of Anti-Trafficking International. And no one can tell the story better than she can, so I want us to listen and learn things. And Anne, the mic is now yours. Well, thanks Tyra, thank you
1: so much for having me and it's such a privilege to be on your show. And I just have to tell you, first of all, thank you for shining a light on this topic. And it isn't something that gets discussed enough uh, because it is a difficult topic. So, first of all, thank you. A um, little bit on my background. I am the CEO, as she said, of ATI, or Anti-Trafficking International. Prior to this, I was a senior advisor for the Office for Victims of Crime at the Department of Justice, where I helped oversee uh federal funding, the most significant portion of federal funding for domestic anti-trafficking efforts in the country, over $100 million. And then prior to that, actually worked uh, in government advocacy, specifically on human rights issues, really advocating for a number of issues, including human trafficking and foster care. But personally, just on a personal level, my own parents were foster parents. I was a foster sibling. Uh, My parents took numerous children into our home growing up, and uh, I saw the very bright side, I can say, of foster care. You know, my parents were very loving, and but I also saw the reality of foster care, and what these kids went through, I saw what the parents, the reality for the parents, and because of that, as an adult, I really had an interest in the intersection with this, and I can tell you, just from a policy perspective, that 60 percent Sixty percent of those uh, who are human tra- who are trafficked here in the United States are in the foster care system at one time. Sixty percent. So it is an intersection that we really need to be looking at, that we really mm. need to be discussing. Yes. Sixty percent. Yeah. Sixty percent of that number are coming from foster care. Then we need to really keep our eyes and ears
0: focused on it. You know, I. That's I did not know the percentage was that high. I could see the potential intersection, but that is dangerous because mm-hmm. that's shining a light on foster care and what can we do to minimize the exposure as a result of the foster care system to traffickers? I wow, yeah, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. So policies okay, I'm putting down I'm taking notes as usual but I have that one's the big one. We'll come back to that. Go ahead, I interrupted. No, no, that's, yeah, so that's that's a little bit on my
1: professional background, my personal background. I also am a mom of three kids as well. My girls actually fall squarely within the ages that are the prime target for victims of human trafficking, you know, ages 11 to 15. That is the prime target age for traffickers to target for, for um, human trafficking victims. And so really, it's, it's very, very young. And it's, the most vulnerable among us. I mean, these are truly, truly girls and boys, just, mm. you know, barely, barely coming out of elementary school. And so I really understand it personally because my own children are in that age category.
0: Right. Um, also, I'm thinking of uh, middle school. Um, yes. I, as an educator, I, I really focused on when I was in the classroom, elementary, before I became a principal. But middle school, where uh, children's uh, self-image, self-import, worthiness, that seems to be the critical ages where that's developed or diminished by uh, Mm -hmm. what's going on. So, um, yeah, Uh, congratulations on having having the children that are so close to you, a person who understands that can help them navigate that space as they come up.
1: Well, oh, it's it's a privilege, but I, I know that it's a big topic, and I know it's a big topic as a parent, and it's a big topic um, for just about everyone, but it really is an issue. If if you take away nothing else from this, it's an issue that everyone can do something. I firmly believe that. But if you're listening to this, you're listening to it for a reason, and there's something that
0: everyone can do. And we're going to talk about that more specifically, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Um, tell me about, well, let me back up. Ann and I have talked on the phone, and she has a relationship with a guest I had two weeks ago who is the founder and and, uh, chief operating officer of this organization. And I knew him when he was a policeman, and he traveled, he journeyed emotionally and professionally to the human trafficking space as a focus and to the nonprofit. But, um... Tell us what moved you to this. Being a foster sibling, I can see that. But what other kinds of things happened to you in terms of your life experiences that made you open to be such an advocate?
1: Oh, absolutely. So actually, my first, I first got involved because, like I said, I was working here. in was- I live outside Washington, D.C., and I was working as a human rights lobbyist. Um, specifically for an organization that really worked on um, domestic violence issues, uh-huh. also issues of genocide, so not just um, domestically but internationally, and just um, the intersection with human trafficking as well. And I, in looking at that, just in looking at you know why things are happening and seeing commonalities, and not just what's happening here in the United States, but you know abuses of power overseas as well. You know it may show up through what we call domestic violence here, but it may show up overseas or in other countries, you know, under religious um, infringement laws, you know, and things like that. And even in forms of genocide, you know, if you look Mm. at what's underneath it and um, was working on a lot of that. And somehow it came across the intersection with foster care. And I read the statistic and it said 500 children had been lost by quote, lost by CPS in the state of Arizona alone. I read this article and it was, a state senator, I believe it was a senator from the state of Arizona, and it just shocked me. And I thought, we have to do something to make sure that children are protected, that they're really safe. And he said specifically that he believed probably many of those were trafficked, and I investigated it and absolutely believed that was the case. Mm. So he started working on a policy that would really keep kids safe. Um, from human trafficking and also really protect them specifically within the foster care system. And so that's really what began my journey professionally into this whole topic. Um, but I had first heard about human trafficking in 2005 okay. and had a really deep heart for it. And really, my heart was broken for it from the moment I heard about it. I mm-hmm. think at the time it was 20 million people were enslaved around the globe and we're talking all around the globe and that's Mm -hmm. labor trafficking, child marriage, um, of course, sex trafficking. And I thought, how is everyone not talking about this? Yeah, You know, this is truly an epidemic around the world. It was kind of, to me, it was almost like a form of genocide. You know, my great grandfather, um, unfortunately, um, was, you know, taken off to a labor camp during Nazi Germany and never heard from mm. again. And, you know, back in the Holocaust, the thing that people, you know, the reason people got so involved here in America and really cared was they started seeing photos yes. and they started caring. And I felt like when I saw this in 2005, when I heard the statistic on the 20 million, I thought how this is like, how is not, it, to me, it was very similar. How is everyone not talking about this? How are we all not? getting on board to stop this and it would take years for me to you know be involved professionally in it but personally was you know very you know got beefed up on it knowledgeable about it learn mm-hmm. you know what I could but um yeah that's long long story into how I got here
0: but you know when I when I think about it Anne, we don't like to look at ugly mm-hmm. we don't like to look at like I, I was just looking at images of uh human trafficking and you know they would have beautiful young children young girls mostly big eyes with an expression and then the 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 uh title would say not for sale you know or you'd see Mm uh a teenager shackled you know lying down Mm -hmm. and i personally uh children have my heart period that's all there Mm -hmm. is to it and I think any human being that uh, is balanced in emotion is touched by the idea, and to have it in your face means you got to do something. Right. And so if you say to uh, the people in the United States, you have to do something, I suspect many of them were going to say, well, What can I do? You know, how can mm-hmm. I do this? How can I help? And, and it's kind of scary because what I was reading in stats is many of these kids, they're sleeping in their own beds and going to school every day. So Absolutely. you know, I, I have so many questions. I don't know how we do it. Just talk to us. Just keep talking to us. Well,
1: it, 90%, it's a scary statistic, 90% of um, trafficking survivors start out in their own homes. So before they're, you know, we think of it as, you know, someone being kidnapped off their front lawn. No, that is not how it happens. That is not it. And I think, you know, my master's is in education too. I have a real heart for children. I think education, one of the great things about it, is that it can lower our fears as well. Yes. So the biggest thing I would say to your audience is to get educated. You know, it's easy to turn away. It's easy to go look the other direction. But Mm -hmm. um, on our website, that's why there's a whole tab dedicated to just Human Trafficking 101, and you can go there. It's
0: PreventHT.org. PreventHT.org. Okay. All right. Okay. Go ahead. I just put that in my notes. And there's a
1: whole tab there that you can go and you can learn about human trafficking. And then under each of, there's a lot of other resources on our website to learn about it. But that's the first step is really to say I'm willing to get educated and Mm -hmm. really learn what the signs are and learn what the statistics are um, so that you can be aware of what's happening in your own community.
0: So, so far we have everyone can do something. And specifically... Mm -hmm. Everyone can get educated. They can go to PreventHT.org, which is your organization. And I have Googled it, and oh, my gosh, there are hundreds of thousands of articles and videos and discussions. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason that we don't know. But we have Mm -hmm. to decide. We have to decide to be a doer. So, um, okay, I'm ready. Keep going. I'm taking good notes, Ann.
1: Well, I love that you said we have to decide to be a doer because I think that's what comes next is really do something. You know, everyone can do something. And I think once you're educated and you really get educated, it's what can I do in my community, in my profession? So. You know, I will say if you're a teacher, if you work in law enforcement, of course, if you are in the medical profession, if you are in the hospitality industry. Oh, you know, yeah, hotels, yeah. restaurants, um, I was even talking to a group of people who go to truck stops. You know, oh. you actually are on the front lines.
0: Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm writing down. I had not, and hospitality is so obvious. Why had I not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to travel every week when I was with IBM, and I bet you, I bet you there was so much of that going on that I didn't even know the signs or anything to look for. I had no idea. And truck stops can, Mm -hmm. they're almost conducive to the accessibility and the trade, right? Because it's a mobile. Absolutely. makes the sin mobile. Okay. Um, Excuse me. What else can uh, parents... Like you talked, I understand the medical profession, the uh, law enforcement, but parents, what can they look for? I mean, with um, social media now, uh, so much is slipping under the edge, so much is coded between young people. You know, they may be saying one thing and you think it's innocent and it's not. Um, Mm -hmm. The seduction uh, that occurs, from what I've read, smart traffickers. Uh, don't just come in and throw somebody into sex there's a process can you talk about that a little
1: bit absolutely it's grooming and that's what I tell parents in fact no child is truly immune but children can become educated and parents can become educated and that can absolutely save children so the reality is this is scary, one in five children will be approached at some point before their 18th birthday here in the United States, one in five, whether in person or online. And so we really have to have our kids equipped, and we have to really recognize the signs ourselves. Um, and, And the signs of grooming are very similar in some ways. So they are things that can be learned. First of all, it can be through gifts it's often through a boyfriend or an employer. Those are two very common ways that it starts. So someone who is pretending to really know, like, and trust you, you know, that's what I say. It's not a stranger. You're not afraid of a stranger. It's someone that, you know, you like, you trust, or someone who is trying to earn your trust, maybe earn your trust online, you know? um, And one of the biggest things, especially for girls is flattery. And this is something that girls need to be taught um, is that flattery is one of the biggest, biggest ways that they lure them in. And
0: in fact, we, Yeah, yeah. Go, and, no, go ahead. I was just thinking about, and again, I'm thinking about the teens, okay, middle school mm-hmm. and teens where the image, self-image is so important, the flattery. I, I ran across uh, a Reddit uh, website that was called Am I Ugly? And you could send your picture mm-hmm. in and, you know, like in seconds, 40,000 people will tell you. And I'm thinking, you know, what, what have we done to our young people? But in terms of the girls, one thing that Bill said when he was here, the importance of fathers, father figures who are in the home legitimately need to do is to speak to their daughters and be role models with their mothers about respecting them and Mm -hmm. flattering them in a way that is loving and help them to learn to know the difference between a seduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, girls flattery. Okay, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, no, go ahead. Yeah, there's a great documentary actually on
0: Netflix called hot girls wanted yeah because that's actually, have you seen that i saw i haven't watched it i well i go through netflix a lot yeah i <laughs> saw it and i thought well you know that's probably i didn't know that was about this mm-hmm.
1: it's really how it happens and it's it's technically legal because they lure in girls over the age of 18 but this is how it happens it happens through flattery in the app they add tagline is hot girls wanted. That's why the movie's called that. The documentary is called that. Mm-hmm. And I've often said to girls, they will say to you, "You look like a model. You're so beautiful." Um, you know. And Bill's ap- absolutely right about the father figure. I will tell you, one of the best things, and I didn't realize it when I was younger, but I realized it when I was older is that my dad told me, I think almost every day, I'm so proud of you. Yes. He would tell me I was beautiful, and he would tell me that I, he was proud of me. Not just that I was beautiful. He did tell me I was beautiful, but he would tell me all the time that I, that he was proud of me. And I knew it, and I believed it, and it it sincerely filled some sort of little void in me. And yes, I had boyfriends and dated, but never had you know a terrible experience and wasn't really longing for a boyfriend, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and that is one of the signs that traffickers look for They actually look for youth or girls that are really wanting a boyfriend. They look for someone who's, I don't want to say desperate for a boyfriend, but really, really wanting a
0: boyfriend. And what do we really say when we say they really mm -hmm. want a boyfriend is they really want to feel worthy. They really want to feel loved. And society has said that comes from a boyfriend. You know, mm-hmm. instead of achievement, instead of, like, your dad. And my dad said, you know, I'm proud of you. You're this, you're that. The positive things. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the language. Language plays a huge part in it. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. this just, there's just, this is so big. It is so big. And you know what it is? We don't talk about it. And when we open up Pandora's box where it lives, it's overwhelming almost. You know, Mm -hmm. so I uh, hear that a lot. Okay, well, it's true. And I'm not going to I'm not going to limit it to just two shows. What I want to do is not just say human trafficking. I want to give it different lenses and maybe focus on that, maybe get people, an educator to come in here. But you've been doing some things I want you to talk about in terms of advocacy. And there's some first that are being uh, implemented, I think, in August, and you were, uh, where were you, in Nashville? Yes, with the governor. There are things that you've been doing. Why don't you share your activity recently and let us uh, get that out there so we can balance the negative things we've been saying yeah
1: well, I'm a big believer that you overcome darkness with light, and I know I know you believe that too yes, and I really, really think um, that's the focus of what we're doing so recently, um, I was in Nashville, I think about two weeks ago meeting with the governor because um, when I was at the Department of Justice, one of the key programs that we had funded there on a very small scale we really wanted I really wanted to see a version of that um, implemented all over you know, statewide and eventually all over the country in multiple states. Mm-hmm. Um, and Governor Lee specifically has had a really, really good track record of focusing on anti-human trafficking efforts. So I met with him about two weeks ago, and he was uh, all, all about it and gave us the green light. And so we are implementing a, a survivor economic empowerment program that is the first of its kind in the country, and will be implemented all across the state of Tennessee, starting in Middle Tennessee and then eventually across the state of Tennessee. What does that and look what it like?
0: Is, yeah, tell us.
1: Yeah, it really it's, it really is based on um, the model of finding a job that they love. Because survivors of human trafficking are unique. They don't just need a job. Mm-hmm. They don't just need job skills. They really need a job that's going to be a good fit for them. And simultaneous to that, they really need the employer to understand and be I want to say trauma-informed to understand what they're going through, you know, Uh and what they've gone through. Uh And so it's kind of that unique balance. So what we do is we come in and yes, we equip uh, the survivor with the job readiness skills training, but we also match her with the perfect, with a great job that's entrepreneurial in nature Hmm. um, and something that she's really going to be able to stick to long-term. So something, it could be in having her own cosmetology booth. It could be Um, owning her own cleaning business or owning her own bakery business or culinary business. Um, It could be working as an insurance agent, something that is a little more entrepreneurial and not as much clock in, clock out. Uh We've just seen that doesn't really last. And one of the biggest reasons why women go back to trafficking and why they feel the need to go back to their trafficker is because they do not have long-term employment That is sustainable they either get fired or they're at a job they really just can't stay at for five years even you know certainly for the rest of their life and so that's really our goal is to do that and then we work with the businesses and this is where the state of tennessee comes in as well and we actually work with the businesses to train and equip them and also to really help them um, through some incentivized programs to be able to offset some of the costs that might be associated with being trauma-informed and really Um, sticking with that survivor for the long haul for at least a year. We really want that employer linked with the survivor as a mentor, you know, of sorts for an entire year. And we have things in place to do that. So It's a really unique program because we focus as much on the business as we do on the survivor. And because of that, we really see the success rates are going to be much, much higher, um, you know, than just job skills and job readiness.
0: Okay, so I'm hearing... Tennessee is way out front with the survivor economic employer program, and you've got a cheerleader in the governor. But what is unique is, and I love this that you said about the entrepreneurial training that they can manage their time because they they don't have a long term, uh, sustainable job history. Success. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the other thing I thought was really good about it is you're matching them with something they love. So, their yeah. passion is meeting their purpose, therefore, they're going to lend themselves to a successful path. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is the employers, and I wanted to ask you how, do, how is Tennessee finding employers willing to buy into this model?
1: Great question. Well, um, Tennessee actually has a lot of small businesses. That was another reason that we targeted the state okay. of Tennessee. Um, they also are a huge hub for human trafficking. They are just Nashville itself is just a two-hour flight to seventy-five percent of the other the rest of the country. Ah. so they really are a nexus for human trafficking. A lot of sporting events, a lot of entertainment events.
2: Yes, um, but
1: because. They have so many small businesses there, um, and we actually really believe in collaboration here at ATI. So we're linking arms with some other organizations that are kind of boots on the ground down there. We're also looking to do a PSA, public service announcement, uh-huh. um, to really educate businesses and recruit them, frankly, get them excited and on board. Um, but there is an, it is an incentivized program. So we have people looking for the businesses. We have PSAs. Um, and then we have an incentivized program. So all three of those factors make it you know, something that businesses are going to want to get on board with.
0: Okay, so we recruit, we have incentives. Now, okay, how will you measure success to this program? Because you're going to have to project that in order for other states to go, oh, wow, look at that, you know. and And maybe they don't implement the entire model but some of it some pieces of it certainly to me are transferable how will you measure or what let me see this what are you going to use as a success criteria how about that that makes more sense
1: yeah long-term sustainability so what our goal success to us looks like that woman with that job for a year and her job satisfaction is high and she wants to stay there and she's making a very good viable income. Okay. And on the same side, the employer is pleased and and um, wants to continue working with the survivor as well. And if both those factors are in place, that's a win. You know, if that woman has a career and she's in it and she, I would say has two years under her belt that is a pretty long run that's a very long one run and she's on her way to a real career and truly truly changing
0: her life okay so let's think about what's the profile of the young women that we are helping to recover and educate in Tennessee great great
1: great question um, so the survivors, there are, there are a lot of survivors and we are working with another organization there that's sending those survivors our way, but the profile is oftentimes mothers. Oh, So I will, uh, yeah. So it's actually a lot of, a lot of times they are mothers. They're women who have gone through the recovery process. Mm-hmm. So they, um, you know, recovery from human trafficking takes a long time and it takes a lot. And these women have gone through the recovery process. They have um, the support of usually a therapist, someone in social services, who's going to be there in the wings because this is, you know, a new job can trigger some old wounds. We know that for, yes. any, for any of us. You know, it really can. And you're, um, so we have that support system in place. So no one who enters the program is going to do it without their own support system. Okay. So that's really
0: the profile. Okay. Uh, I'm surprised uh, and shouldn't be. I'm surprised and shouldn't be that it's mothers uh talk about a little bit about the recovery process because I personally know having been on a clinical staff before that recovery is not an event it is a process and it, it's cyclical <laughs> depending on mm-hmm. the on the triggers so mm-hmm. um what's that like uh for them, I hear you saying somebody is there, but you don't have any statistics yet, right? On uh,
1: no, we haven't even begun to implement. It. We just got the
0: green light. Okay, okay, we're going to start hopefully in the next six months, really mm-hmm. implementing it. So that means you have to come back. Are you ready for that? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm going. You know, you know, I'm going to do that, right? But one oh, of the I would love to, <laughs> yes. one of the most important things I think you said is one of the most important words is collaboration, the whole Mm -hmm. concept. And by collaboration, you're getting entities, like you've got the small business community, you've got social services, you've got recruiters out there, you've got marketing and advertising, and you have survivors. So there's a way to find those people, the survivors. So it looks to me like you've got some built-in critical success factors so i'm just wishing you the best of the best now that's in tennessee you told me something good is happening with your program in august
1: huge we have huge (laughs) stuff happening right here okay Um, so we have the national human trafficking intelligence center and that is our biggest thing that we are launching and we are launching it august 11th and it is the first of its kind in the country and it's something right here um, in the dc area and it's going to be able to be utilized all across the country and what it is is it really gets everything we do here at ati focuses on prevention yes because prevention is the is the biggest way to have impact in the, in changing the numbers on human trafficking i mean that's the bottom line and it's also the least funded and the least addressed aspect of the fight on human trafficking So this center, what it will do, this intelligence center, is it really addresses the recovery of youth in such a way that we get it preventing it from happening in the first place. So what it is, is we, it's a tip line where, that is the first of its kind, and I'll give you the number, it's 1-800.
2: 1-800,
0: okay. Mm
1: -hmm. Tap, Mm T-A-P, and then the number two, and then tip, so tap two tip. And anyone can call in and report um, suspected human trafficking. And once they do, we have a team of trained intelligence analysts who are really, truly subject matter experts. And they analyze it. They uh, you know, will contact the person back if necessary. But really to track down the trafficker quickly, um, identify the trafficker, rest, and, and then coordinate with law enforcement. Wherever that trafficker is, we coordinate with law enforcement. And then law enforcement goes out, and they're able to interdict and rescue the victim. And then in the process of coordinating with law enforcement, um, they're able to preserve the evidence and really increase the rate of prosecution. And that is how you really change human trafficking. And that's really the prevention element is getting the traffickers off the streets. And that's what we're doing is we are really – we're not just connecting people to services. Um, You know, we're not just talking about it. We're actually investigating and then going through the proper channels, but we're really assisting um, law enforcement because what we know is that the bottom line is when someone calls and and says that they suspect human trafficking, Mm -hmm. wherever they are in the country, that call may or may not have anyone who's really able to do anything about it because of various reasons. So we take that burden on us. We do the investigation.
0: And we just, you know. Now, who 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 is we doing the investigations?
1: Our intelligence analysts. Oh, okay. Yeah, here at the NHTIC.
0: Okay, now there's something I need for you to do because even I didn't get it right. I want you to give the 800 line number, and I want you to spell slowly. I got 1-800, but after that I think I really screwed up. Spell the letters that go after 1 800. Sure. T A P as in Paul. T as in Tyra. A P -hmm. as in Paul. Okay. And then the number two. Number two. And then tip with the tip line. T I P. Tap to tip. Oh. Yeah. Now that's kind of cute. I could remember that. Is (laughs) it? (laughs) I'm sorry. Yes, Yes, I am human, and yes, I wanted to get it right. I like that, 1-800-TAP-TO-TIP. So if you all have information, if you have ideas maybe, I don't know. But what I like is you've got subject matter experts there. You've got people. Mm -hmm. Now, you would call, you identify the trafficker, and Mm -hmm. through this tip line you can coordinate with law enforcement. Is that right? Yeah, because what we found is one of the biggest reasons
1: why human trafficking goes unreported is that people don't usually call unless they're 100% certain that it's trafficking. And really, ah, many of us okay. are certain. I mean, how many of us see something? I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, I think I saw something. And I said, well, did you call the police? "Nope, I didn't call the police. And there was a Sprinter van in front of my neighbor's house every night at 2 o'clock. I heard this from someone, and I said, have you called the police? No, we've never called the police. Because most people are afraid to do that for various reasons. Uh Um, And how many of us travel through the airport? You know, 60% of trafficking victims will go through an airport at some time, 60%. So most of us are probably seeing something at some point in our life. um, Oh, I'm sure. Do about it.
0: I am sure. Yeah, I am sure. And, Mm -hmm. um, on these stats that, you know, I, I'm just looking over my notes again, and uh the, the first one I wrote down right away because we talked about you being a foster care sibling was 60% of children who are trafficked have been touched by the uh, foster care system. That one, mm-hmm. like, blew my mind. And then 90% of trafficking starts in their own home. That's scary. hmm OK. Oh, and, yeah. And now we have, again, 60 percent are going through our airports and we mm-hmm. don't even know they're not wearing signs. Let's just put it that way. And these people are yeah. so clever. Um, OK. I'm liking this on August 11th. OK. Tell me you said uh, coordination again. Tell me who's going to be involved in the NHTIC. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so it's really intelligence analysts. So when you when you report something, okay. um, we really want to take off the burden of people worrying about reporting. Anyone can report. This okay. way anyone can call in and report from anywhere in the country. And oh. we will, they just need to give us, yeah, anywhere in the country. It's a whole national. You could call us from L.A., from Chicago, from anywhere. And then we will analyze the intelligence we um, through various modalities. And then we are actually partnering with ShotSpotter. And ShotSpotter is, um, they're all over the country, but they really, they're a gunshot detection uh, technology that's in Washington, D.C. right here. There was a press conference with the mayor a few weeks ago, and they're in um, New York City, Chicago, and they really detect violence in the earliest stages. And they actually contacted us and are partnering with us because they really want to be on the front lines of detecting human trafficking in the earliest stages. And so it's a really great partnership with them where they're helping us with um, the tip line and the case management, and they're really the best of the best. And so it's um, top-notch analysts, top-notch technology, and investigative tools to really, like I said, track down the traffickers, get those kids um, recovered, and then increase that prosecution rate.
0: Now I'm sitting up here listening to you, and I'm thinking, We need more of these kinds of stories, or we need more of this to be pushed out more often. And maybe Mm -hmm. if people see hope, and I love the fact that anyone can report anywhere in the country, which then you are set up to analyze the intelligence they give you. You've got case management capabilities. I love this. And then you're coordinating with law enforcement and the collecting of evidence. So um, would a trafficker take the risk of reporting a human traffic, uh, si- trafficking uh, situation? Would a trafficker report? No, no, I'm sorry. Would a victim report?
1: Sometimes. You know, usually they don't. Usually by that point, because it's the process of grooming, and again, the definition of trafficking, as you said, is really that coercion. They're under a lot of fear. Okay. So they don't usually come out and say, "I'm," you know, this is what's happening to me, because they have been convinced not to speak, because either they're going to be harmed or their family members are going to be harmed or
0: something similar to that. So... It's up to us. That's what I want to get across. It's up to us to fix this. It's up to everybody we know. Everybody, everybody, anybody can do something. And the first thing we need to do is pick apart the term human trafficking. What is it? What does it look like? Can you see it? What are the symptoms you said before we were talking about where does it begin in the home? Employers, talk a little bit more about employers uh, playing a part in the human trafficking space.
1: That is a great question. Yeah, so my one of my favorite stories, if I can just share it real fast, is actually very hopeful story. so. Mm-hmm. We, um, it was a girl here in Northern Virginia, and she her, worked at a kiosk in the mall mm-hmm. and realized that her employer was grooming her. And for various reasons, um, you know, it was someone who was developing a relationship with her where she, you know, I would say no like and trust, where this person was earning her trust. And she actually heard our prevention curriculum in her school and went home and realized that the next day she was probably going to be she was being groomed and the next day was probably going to be trafficked that um all of the elements were in place the gifts the flattery he was asking her you know all that he was doing so she told her mother and she said to her mother you know this is what i heard at school mm-hmm. this is what is happening at work and her mom called the police and they investigated and sure enough it was a trafficking situation oh it thank you god yes
0: I know. yes thank yes you. Oh my goodness! Yes,
1: and he was—he was put away, and he was prosecuted. And guess what? That girl was never a victim of human trafficking. She's and we can celebrate.
0: Yes, and and yes. what what would be nice somehow? And I don't know how we implant courage, but you know, peer to peer encouragement is so mm-hmm. strong. Uh, I don't yes. know, I don't know how we push down the uh, what you are doing at the national level or in Tennessee in the education space, Uh, let me ask the question before I make this statement. Do you have young people in your programs that are learning to be ambassadors to fight human trafficking? Does that exist? we do. We have a whole program,
1: and I would invite your listeners, if you have anyone who's in middle, high school, or even college, to join our Student Advisory Council. We call it the SAC, and it's exactly that. It's a leadership program to empower young people, and it's that peer, exactly what you said. It's that peer-to-peer be um, leadership on this topic, you know, really talking to their peers yeah. through social media, through other Um, venues, you know what I mean, in a way that really addresses them specifically.
0: So my next question would be, could we have some of those representatives come and sit at the table with me at some point?
1: Absolutely. Would love to arrange for that. In fact, it's one of my favorite things. I um, had an intern with me today. I was actually down in Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C., and the mayor's office has been very, very um, receptive to really implementing a lot of, you know, anti-trafficking stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, here in Washington, D.C., and she was with me, had a front seat, front row seat to the whole thing and seeing how it works because I really feel like, you know, today's youth, it's not just a phrase, today's youth is tomorrow's leaders, and I want to yes. get kids excited and yes. owning this, you know, really being on the front lines of this and empowered from an early age.
0: Oh, my goodness, and, you know, I, I talk about uh, people at the table Shedding Light on Darkness, and you sat right here and you told us about a state-focused program and the Survivor Economic Empowerment Program in Tennessee. Then, boom, a national program, National Human Trafficking Intelligence Center. Did I get it right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, that one is powerful because anybody in the United States can call. And you don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about who you are, et cetera. You don't have to worry about the validity of your uh, instinct. There are people there that are trained to uh, investigate, right? Subject Mm -hmm. matter experts. You can coordinate with law enforcement. You can collect evidence. You can investigate. So, um, wow. All right. I'm back to the number one thing you said. Everybody can do something. And Mm -hmm. I think you agree with me. It's a decision. We have to decide to be a doer. And I can't, Ooh, boy, so much. Uh, You're coming back, so I'm not even going to try and wrap up this stuff. This is just visit number one of Ms. Ann Basham, who is, as you can tell, an enthusiast, an advocate, an educator, extraordinaire in the human trafficking space. So she will come back. Uh, I gave her an assignment, and she was so obedient. And would you mind reading <laughs> your letter to your uh, to your early younger younger self uh, to our audience now?
1: Absolutely. So I wrote a note to my younger self. Um, if I were writing a note to my younger self, I would tell myself first not to be so hard on myself, because part of learning in life is through trial and error. You're going to make mistakes and that's okay, but when you do, apologize if that's needed because apologies are healing to everyone involved. In everything, try to be wise. Seek wisdom, have wise good friends, and share your wisdom with others. I would also tell myself to continue to have big dreams and ambitions, but to hold them loosely because the most satisfying life is not one focused on being happy, or achieving just your own ideas and dreams. But true satisfaction comes in fulfilling God's highest and best calling for your life, which may be a life and career that looks completely different than what you thought you wanted when you were younger. I would tell myself that Garth Brooks was right when he said some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And I would really tell my younger self to look look for the open doors, realize that all the things in life Realize that things in life that you will regret most are sometimes not walking through opportunities that presented themselves. And some of the things you will be the most proud of will come from a willingness to step, step through a very scary open door that presented itself but might have been outside of your own dreams. And my biggest advice for myself and especially my children is to remember the book that your mama read to you over and over as a child, The Tale of Three Trees. Your childhood dreams are there for a reason, but be open to the fact that they may manifest differently when you are an adult and that's okay. Life is not a fairy tale. We're not here just to marry the prince and live in a big fancy castle. Although I'm not opposed to that. We're here (laughs) to love others and to be authentic.
0: And that's it. Awesome sauce. Well, let me then just, just add a little take with soul food. For our listeners, for the moments when they may be tired of being tired or maybe someone has stepped on your last nerve or maybe you're wondering, is this all there is? I got some information for you that your mirror and maybe some of your best friends won't tell you. First of all, you opened two gifts this morning. They were your eyes. Every day you wake up, it's God saying to you, it's not over. You're more than what you've become. Second, although we share many common attributes and qualities, each of us came here with a unique set of fingerprints. Each of us is a designer's original to do what no one else can do. God said you are a miracle. You are important. You are stronger than you feel, stronger than depression, stronger than suicide. You are smarter than you think. You have multiple intelligences. You are more beautiful than you believe. Did you know the ugly duckling was always a swan? You are more loved than you can ever believe. Your story has not been read. Refuse to be refused. My guest today again has been Miss Ann Betcham, CEO of Anti-Trafficking International. You've been listening to Radio Fairfax in Fairfax, Virginia. Your seat at the table is guaranteed, and I look forward to next time. Until then, promise me and promise yourself that you're going to treat yourself like someone you love. Until next time, I'll be living intentionally and loving the thought of you. This is Tyra G.